0: Welcome everybody, welcome back to Pillow Talk, the interview series of Pussy Church, where I call some of my favorite erotic creators. This is Lara, an erotic writer and the creator of Tales of Lara, which you can find at TalesOfLara.com and TalesOfLara on Instagram. And today I'm checking in with Dr. Shana, a professor of human sexuality and the creator of the Open Smarter class, where she shares tips on non-monogamous relationships. We talked about the science of casual sex, how to figure out what relationship style works for you, and what to do when you think about a girl while you're having sex with your boyfriend. Also, Valentine's Day is coming up. And just in time, my book of erotic poetry is back in print. Get yours now on TalesOfLaura.com and have an unforgettable Valentine's. Amen. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to Pillow Talk, the special interview edition of Pussy Church, where I talk to some of my favorite creators. And today I'm here with NYU adjunct professor of human sexuality and relationship expert, Dr. Shana. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me
1: and for trying so hard with the name. It's not an
0: easy one, I know. <laughs> Especially with um, European names in America, it must be a struggle
1: sometimes. <laughs> yes, it is.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in the show. Um, I've been a great fan of your work for a while now and following you on Instagram. And um, I think you're in like in preparation for the show. I've watched also your TED Talk that you did. Um. Mm-hmm. And your thoughts on casual sex. This is kind of like where I want to get started right away. (laughs) And then we'll dive into how you got started and everything.
1: But you did a TED Talk, right, on casual sex? I did a TEDx talk on casual sex a few years ago at this point. It's been a while. (laughs) It's been a while and a wild ride. Um, So really quickly
0: about casual sex. So would would you say yay or nay? Is it
1: good for us or not? (laughs) <laughs> it depends, just like everything else, else in psychology, it depends on who you are and how you do it. And that is exactly what my TEDx talk will tell you. That's what my doctoral dissertation was about. So, that TEDx talk came out in 2014, I believe. And uh, that's when I was finishing up my PhD at Cornell, st- having studied casual sex and how it impacts our well being. Mm -hmm. our life satisfaction and, uh, you know, positive and negative mental health outcomes. And one of the things I kept finding was that it was good for some people and it was not good for other people. And I was looking at some of those factors that that depended on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a great lesson for a lot of us, I think, to learn that there is no one size fits all.
0: I guess in some kind of a sense, that could be said about so many things in life, right? Even about, I don't know, food, right?
1: (laughs) Absolutely. There's no one right diet.
0: Yes, exactly. So you can eat healthy stuff, unhealthy stuff, (laughs) and then you can have healthy sex and maybe not so healthy sex, I guess, to a certain degree, Mm -hmm. Um, depending Mm -hmm. on how how you deal with it and probably also how aware you are, right?
1: Sure, how, where you are, how you do it, it. But also, there are, you know, some of these things are just good for some people and not good for other people. Just like there is no one universal healthy diet. Yes. Right? There are different kinds of diets that people can eat that could be good for them, and different ones will be suited for different personalities, different lifestyles, different metabolisms, right? Different geographic areas where these people come from, their racial background, and all of those things, right? So in a sense, we have that kind of blueprint to some extent inside of us that determines some of these choices around our sexuality and relationships will be better suited for some of us. And those exact same options like casual sex or uh, the other thing that I work on, open relationships or not, or monogamous relationships, and the, making some of those choices, they will fit some people and they will not fit other people. And then from the people who are doing these different things, you can do them in a way that's healthy and safe and ethical and pleasurable and all of the good things, or you can do them in a way that's not healthy and safe and pleasurable and ethical Yeah. So there are two things. Is it right for you? And then if you're doing it, are you doing
0: it the right way? So how do you find out? Actually, this is interesting because I think sexuality in general, because we get taught so little when we grow up Mm -hmm. about our sexuality, and then we get kind of a prescribed sexuality or even a prescribed idea of what a relationship should look like how, how do people or how do you think is a good way for people to start looking at themselves and actually figuring out who they are, sexually speaking? That's
1: such a great question. <laughs> <laughs> mm. There are a lot of different ways, I suppose, to go about it. But education would be the first one in my mind, education and community. Those are the, mm. the two ways that we start to feel comfortable asking some of those questions to even know which questions to ask. Because very often we're taught so little about sex and relationships outside of whatever the box is that society has given us, which in many cases is a very tiny box. Not Mm -hmm. many of us actually fit in that box. I agree. Uh, We're all trying to get crammed in it but many of us have many many other desires and interesting curiosities when it comes to sex and relationships that don't fit in that box and for me personally i think had a whole journey with
0: my sexuality Um, from what Mm -hmm. I was taught to kind of starting to explore with myself and, like, education, obviously. But it's such a privilege to work in this field because you're surrounded by so much and you get so much input. So for people, Mm -hmm. I think it's so difficult to get, like, a a start, right, or a place where they feel comfortable questioning um, instead of just shaming themselves for all the thoughts that don't fit into that tiny box, like you said.
1: Exactly. Almost all of the communities that are available to people these days are not really welcoming to sex positivity in many yes. different ways. That's really sad, and which is exactly why I've been doing the work that I do. I've created the community around my, uh, my my people, my sex positive community. That's why I have a course that people can take to learn more about, especially non-monogamy and monogamy and it has to be one of those ways and whatever that is for people, you know, take a course in the aspect of sexuality that you're interested in online courses. I think these days are one of the best ways to start education, your education on a topic. And there are plenty of really good, uh, really good courses out there on various topics. And then Mm -hmm. finding a group of people, finding a community that is, brought together around that topic community is such a good
0: point and such a probably difficult thing for people to get started in. i mean granted like this podcast is a community i guess Mm -hmm. um where people can come and listen and every week there's a different aspect of sexuality kind of highlighted or there's so many other podcasts or tv shows and stuff but i um how did you get started in a sense like what made you what made you study and then make that your job
1: Good question. I was uh, one of those people outside the box who really the box did not fit. And for some reason, for a mix of probably biological reasons and some of the upbringing and the environmental factors in my life enabled me to be able to say, but fuck you, world. Mm. I don't care that you think I should fit in this box. I do not fit in this box. I really don't like this box. I'm trying out this box and it does not fit. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: so I'm not going to live in this box. And if you don't like that, then I don't know. That's your problem. I'm sure I'm going to find some people who are going to like it. And I'm going to go find those people. (laughs) And what made you not feel like you fit in a box? Oh, I wanted so many things that my society said that I wasn't supposed to want. uh, back Back there in Macedonia where I grew up. I was attracted to women as well as men and but later I realized other genders as well. I was interested in casual sex. I didn't have a problem with casual sex. In fact, I wanted to, to have sex with lots of different people. I wanted threesomes and foursomes and all sorts of group sex scenarios. I wanted kinky kinds of things. I did not understand monogamy. Like that just never mm-hmm. made sense to me. Whenever I was in relationships with people, I'd be like, so wait, why can't we fuck other people? Like, why can't, you can fuck other people as far as I'm concerned. And Mm -hmm. I would love to be able to as well. Like, why is that wrong? I think I was always pretty low on jealousy myself. And so I didn't naturally resonate with what many people do feel when they think about non-monogamy, which is some level of jealousy. But I didn't feel that. So I just didn't, I don't know, I didn't want monogamy therefore, for for my partners, therefore. It didn't make sense to me either. Anyway, so yeah, I had lots of reasons to not be inside that box. <laughs> I mean, I tr- I honestly tried. It was so unpleasant and it felt so inauthentic. Even very young, I would have these experiences of trying to do things the way society said that I should. Like, I knew I wasn't supposed to have sex on the first date. And so sometimes I would try to do that. I would Say no in the first date, and then I will go home, and I'm like, "Why did I do that? I wanted to have sex with that guy. Like, what? I just didn't mm-hmm. feel like that's what I wanted to do." So, anyway, I I had that whatever courage, I guess, to live my own life outside that box, and so of course, I was fascinated with what does that look like? How do people who live outside the box navigate? their sex lives and relationship lives and where is everybody else like like all those people who are not rebelling against the box like are they really happy inside the box or do they also have some of these desires and interests they're just not as strong enough as they are in us yeah i I
0: mean i wonder they have a choice of
1: surviving in the box whereas the people who are on the farther ends of the spectrum it might just be too strong to resist
0: Yeah, because I think there is a difference clearly in like your approach to sexuality. And even if we're talking about asexuality, maybe on top of it, some people don't even have the urge to be sexual, right? So clearly the spectrum Mm. is massive in in a sense of, yeah, you could live in the confines of society, right? And it wouldn't Mm. bother you so much because maybe that's not something you're you're urging to do. Um, But Mm. I do think that even if it's not about monogamy versus non-monogamy or something but even if we're just talking about fantasy i think even there we are so limited by our society and people do suffer quite a lot i think um in general to live these parts of themselves or just to masturbate i mean <laughs> really you can start really small um and see mm-hmm. how difficult it can be for a lot of people even to do the, the smallest quote unquote
1: things oh absolutely i think Probably one of the greatest tragedies in terms of the way we do sex and relationships in our current modern Western world is not encouraging partners to share their fantasies with each other.
0: Mm.
1: Yes. I, I really think that's tragic. It creates so much sexual unhappiness long-term in relationships. Being able to share those fantasies with each other, even if you never, ever act on those. Yes. Yes. Even just being able to talk about that can bring in so much novelty and excitement and and kind of passion and can keep things hot for much longer than they would be otherwise. People are really missing out on the opportunity of sharing their fantasies with each other. And there's a great book for those of you interested in learning more about that, Justin Miller's Tell Me What You Want is Mm. precisely about sexual fantasies and what are our fantasies. You'll see how common your fantasies are (laughs) and and how probably your partner also shares some of them. And yeah, it's a great.
0: I think in general, um, it's, it's, it's also such a limiting belief that, um, sexual fantasies or anything surrounding your sexuality, um, has not a big part of your relationship. It's also such a big part of being intimate with your partner,
1: also mm-hmm. emotionally.
0: So mm-hmm. I think often we divide love or relationship, right, in the non-sexual aspects and the sexual aspects of your relationship, mm-hmm. whereas they are um, intertwined um, mm-hmm. and reflect each other constantly. And through sexuality, you can deepen emotional intimacy in the other way around. hmm Absolutely, absolutely. Regarding your class, <laughs> your class on open relationship, um, I think it's called Open Smarter. Is that right? Yep. So, um, what inspired you to do this? Um, I think you also live in a non-monogamous relationship. Is that true?
1: Yes, I've been myself non-monogamous, as I said, for as long as I can remember, <laughs> and I tried to do it initially in a ethical way with my partners I would try to open up my relationships back in Macedonia but that was such a foreign alien concept to almost anyone at that point that I never managed to do that so I ended up being non-consensual non-consensually non-monogamous relationships most of that time (laughs) I was I cheated that means I would cheat on my long-term partners because these desires in me were too strong and I just could not Repress them. And then, but I was so unhappy doing that. You know, that was very against how I wanted to live my life. Mm -hmm. And I, and I also, it was something that I really wanted to share with my partner. The fact that I had to hide was not far from ideal. Right. And, um, yeah, when I moved to the US, partially because I came here to pursue my PhD. And then partially because I knew I had to leave Macedonia that I was never going to be able to live properly, and happily fully outside the box in that very small, limited, socially, culturally, and, you know, in any other way space. So I moved to the US. And that's where I discovered the more consensually non monogamous version of relationships, open relationships. That's whole sex positive world and community. And um, that's been yeah my life since then. I've, I was married for um, about eight eight years. We had an open marriage and I'm now in a monogamish relationship with uh, a man for the last year or so. What does monogamish
0: mean for you?
1: (laughs) Monogamish means we play with other people but only together, not separately, mm-hmm. and don't do it very frequently. So it's not a huge part of our relationship uh, at the moment. Mm-hmm. So would you
0: say that um, your the constellation of how you structure your relationship depends on your partner as well? Like does it change from partner to partner?
1: Oh, sure. Of course, because we all come in with – our needs and our boundaries. And so it's always about finding what works for both people or what's the sort of the sweet spot where your needs and boundaries overlap with your partner's needs and boundaries in the, in the best way possible so that we maximize pleasure and minimize pain for everyone involved. That's always my guiding principle. And that is the guiding principle of the Open Smarter course.
0: How do you start that conversation about, you know, your needs and boundaries? What would that look like um, as like a little example?
1: Well, you start with taking the Open Smarter course. (laughs) Clearly. (laughs) Because that will give you the language to figure out how to open up the conversation because different Types of relationships, different reasons why you might want to start that conversation require different approaches, right? There, yeah. again, is no one size fits all. So it's, um, yeah, well, would it's that, all going depend on.
0: Would that be, for example, like what you said, like one way of doing it could be, like you just said, um, we are only playing with people together because for mm-hmm. me as an example. For me, I don't like the idea of you playing alone with somebody um, that would hurt me too much or saying, I want you to go and play with other people and I want you to tell me
1: everything about it or nothing about it. Exactly. So there are a few dimensions of how you can do relationships that are important in what the structure of your relationship is going to be. And so, and that's what the open smarter course will tell you all the different dimensions that are potentially relevant, that you want to have an opinion of how you want to do it, and then find a way to match that with your partner. And you mentioned a couple of those. So one is, do you want to do stuff together with other people or separately or either? And, Different people have different preferences along that continuum. The other one is how much do you want to know about what your partner is doing, especially if you are seeing people separately. Mm -hmm. And that can range from I don't want to do I don't want to know anything all the way to I want to know every single detail and vice versa. How much do you want to share about your experiences There is another very important dimension, one of the first ones, in fact, that I ask people to think of, and that's, do you want, are you in this opening up journey for sex primarily, or to find multiple loves and romantic engagements at the same time? Because polyamory, which is multiple long-term romantic relationships and engagements, is very different from a more casual kind of open relationship Mm -hmm. of some sort, whether you play separately or together, but that retains that single monogamous connection romantically.
0: I'm sure part of it is too a trial and error, right? Because I feel like there's even, for example, in, in my life with kink, right? There's Mm -hmm. some some thoughts I had on like what I would like and what I won't won't like or something that looked attractive to me in first glance and Mm -hmm. something where I was like, you know what, I'm not quite, doesn't really look appealing. But then Mm -hmm. there's also an experiential aspect of like, oh, I experienced this now or I was just like kind of half curious and a partner brought it to me. And I was like, okay, well, you know, it's not, The first thing I thought of, but let's try. And then suddenly actually liking something that I had put Mm -hmm. so many um, prejudice on, you know, where I was like, oh, this means I'm this kind of person, if I would Mm -hmm. enjoy that. So I'm sure there's something about, oh, you're supposed to be jealous or possessive or um, in an just trying out different things and see, I mean, that's a, it's difficult. I think this is where people get afraid because it's difficult in relationships sometimes to be like, well, can we take a step back? Right. If we tried something and we didn't like it, are we going to survive this? Um, Right. Right. But I'm sure there's ways to like be really ethical about these moments.
1: Yeah. And there absolutely is going to be some trial and error that is inevitable. And in fact, I highly recommend to people to do some trial and error, but actually trial and error is often done blindly without having any kind of information prior to choosing what you're choosing. So you're not really choosing, you're letting the choice be made for you by some external factors or by your partners or something like that. And that is much more likely to lead to misses, right to errors that are not necessarily necessary, when you can take a more informed approach about some of the things that might work better for you than, than other things, and then experiment on purpose.
0: What do you think – I think there's always this aspect of um, there's non-monogamy, right, versus monogamy. And then there's these hard lines that people, I think, envision. (laughs) But there's quite Mm -hmm. a lot of things that even if you choose to be in a monogamish or monogamous relationship, really, that you can learn from non-monogamy, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: What would you think are like a couple of those things that people can learn? even if they decide to be monogamous?
1: One of the things is what I mentioned earlier, and that's to share with each other your fantasies. Yes. And even fantasies that involve other people that you can very intentionally and consciously say, we're not going to act on these, right? Because we want to stay monogamous, but let's play with them and see what they can do and when you don't feel threatened if you have a partner who feels secure enough in the relationship to be able to engage with these fantasies without without fear then they can be amazing that will um that is one of those areas that require better communication about needs about desires about boundaries to some extent that non-monogamous people have to practice much more of because they're negotiating those more with more people. But a lot of monogamous folks can learn a lot about communication, about setting boundaries, expressing needs and and desires, because that's not something we're taught to do. And that can be about sex, about the sexual desire, sexual interests, curiosities that we have. That can also be about the emotional Mm. needs and desires that, that we have and boundaries that we have about how we're being loved, to what extent we're being loved by our partner. So one is, you know, to what extent we're being fucked well or <laughs> in different ways that we want to get fucked. And yeah, the other aspect is, are we being loved in the ways that we need to be loved or want to be loved? And, you know, in non-monogamous relationships, there is inherently built-in, somewhat more insecurity, somewhat more relational insecurity, right? Because there are other sexual partners, they might be other romantic partners or sexual partners might turn into romantic partners. You know, there's always that potential uh, threat that does not generally exist in monogamy. So because these relationships have a higher levels of built-in insecurity in them, the people in them, in order to make them high quality, in order to do them the right way, you know, going back to the, then how to do it the right way in order to do it the the right way. They often, we often put a lot of, a lot of emphasis on making sure our relationships are of high quality, that we're giving the time and attention and affection and uh, care to our partners that, so that they feel like their tank is full so they can share us with other people, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's much harder to share your partner with other people when your tank for love, for sex, for attention, affection, all of those things that you need from your partner, if that's empty, it's much harder to be like, wait, 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 you're now giving that to someone else and you haven't given that to me, right? That is- uh, yes. That's not, not a good way of doing it anyway. And so I think that's something that monogamous people can learn from because very often in monogamy, that's exactly what happens. People stop making their relationships and their partners special, stop investing, stop making sure that they give each other the love, affection, affection attention, time, all of those things that we need in order to sustain these relationships because the monopoly factor of monogamy well they have nowhere to go right they're kind of stuck with me I don't have to work for it (laughs) yes oh god I have never thought about that that's kind of funny yeah and you end up with lower quality relationships because of that and so don't let that happen be monogamous absolutely monogamy can be beautiful you can find such great depth in monogamy that you probably cannot really to that extent with uh, non-monogamy and Or you would have to work, many, many times it's harder to do that. But yeah, monogamy can be absolutely beautiful for people. Just do it the right way. Do it in a way that really both maintains the passion and the sexual energy and the love and care that we yeah. need.
0: I think that's interesting. It's was such an interesting point you just made because I think... With both, with non-monogamy and monogamy, people sometimes think the other is the easier one, right? Like monogamy is the (laughs) easier one because there's only one partner, so I don't really have to, you know, be afraid, you know, if I don't give the right attention that this person is not going to, you know, Mm -hmm. or let's just be non-monogamous so we don't have to give each other what we need <laughs> because we can mm-hmm. get it everywhere else anyways. So i think the focus should probably be no matter what relationship you choose that um or the focus should be on the fact that we always have to pay attention and keep on learning and mm-hmm. engaging with each other.
1: Yes, nurture the relationship our relationships yeah nurture and bring adventure into them those are just Mm -hmm. two things you need we all need them to at least some extent some of us need them a lot more than others but don't let both the care and nurturance for the relationship or the passion and the adventure side of it to die down yeah for sure keep them alive keep them alive (laughs) (laughs) for sure
0: I thought it'd be fun to answer a few questions that listeners send in. Sure. What do you have for us today? Yeah, it's fun, actually. So this is one where I'm assuming I know you answer, but I would love to hear it live. (laughs) Um, Someone wrote in, is it normal to think about girls during sex with my boyfriend?
1: 100 (laughs) percent. That's what I thought. (laughs) (laughs) Most Absolutely 100 percent. We often have all sorts of fantasies while we're having sex with our partners and that's quite normal. And people sometimes have fantasies that they don't want to make real, right? They don't want to experience in real life. Some fantasies we do want to experience in real life. And statistically speaking, there's a very good chance that if you shared that fantasy with your boyfriend that he would probably like
0: it. Yeah, it could be, right? I mean, I think this (laughs) is like the funny, that's the thing, I think, where judgment and shame comes in, right? Because we judge ourselves for these things that don't fit in the box, even when we're just thinking about them. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Where, Where there is actually maybe an opportunity to deepen intimacy, um, or a sexual adventure with our partner, or if nothing else, maybe just let yourself think these things
1: <laughs> without judgment. Yeah. Yeah. Now, of course, if that's all you're thinking and masturbating about and mm-hmm. it's instead of your boyfriend, right. Then that might be a different scenario, right. Then we might yeah, be talking about a situation where you know this person might be queer and not really interested in men and so you know that's a different trajectory. (laughs) Absolutely that's true. Because I mean I think if
0: yeah you're right if it's (laughs) if it's every, if it's the only thing you can
1: think of. I mean that's like I I don't really want to have sex with my boyfriend. I really want to be having sex with a woman right now. And if you feel that every single time, then that might be an indication that you actually want to be with a woman rather than a man. Yeah, But without more context in this question, obviously, it's hard to tell which way to interpret it. Yes. So
0: this person, when they listen, (laughs) will have to figure out what what that means for them. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Funny enough, I haven't even thought about this, but what if it's like a gay man, you know? Um, Right. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who knows um okay next question how to deal with sex after betrayal i'm assuming this is um related to infidelity
1: but this is just an assumption right and then the assumption is how to deal with sex with that same person after they just cheated, cheated. on you yes mm-hmm. i think so mm-hmm. these feelings of of resentment and disgust very often will come into the picture of, you know, I don't want you to touch me. I don't want you anywhere near me. Right. All of those things are very normal to feel. And I would say, give yourself the time that you need to heal, to feel that, to process that for some people, it can take a couple of days or weeks. For some people, it might take months, maybe even more I would definitely suggest any couple who's gone through an experience of infidelity that was to any level painful and traumatic to seek out some counseling some relationship counseling to work through that experience because infidelity can be such a disruptive experience to have in a Mm -hmm. relationship and devastating in many ways but if a couple decides to stay together after an infidelity it can be an amazing opportunity to learn from to grow to evolve the relationship to fix some things that maybe weren't working and but that can only usually happen through therapy yeah. so I highly yeah. recommend some level of counseling afterwards
0: that's a great point because I think it's also difficult to kind of n- negotiate the, all these feelings with your partner when you might not even know where everything's coming from and why you're feeling a certain way. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Because I'm sure there's so many parts of it, right? It also depends on what's your what's your past like, right? what What does infidelity mean to you even before you had that one relationship? Right. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's that's the funny thing, even when we're talking about non-monogamy and monogamy, that ethical aspect of ethical non-monogamy, um, of honesty um, with your partner. And I think, I always think that, and it's obviously um, high order, right? That it'd be great mm-hmm. to communicate to your partner before
1: it happens. Ideally, we would live in a society where no one had to ever cheat or lie about, anything else. But unfortunately, that's just not the reality that we live in. So I have compassion and I get in trouble for this all the time. I, I just got in trouble on my Instagram for saying, you know, sometimes infidelity is the right solution. And mm, okay, I have even seen that, right? That, that actually many people, many many couples, counselors and therapists see that in their office, that sometimes that ends up being the right solution in some way, shape or form. And I also find compassion for the people who sometimes make those decisions because it's not easy to deal with these desires that we have. And I think so many more of us have these desires that monogamous relationships cannot quite meet, cannot quite contain. And now we live in a world that is so tempting. It is more tempting than ever before. We humans have never before found ourselves in an environment where we could satisfy, we could technically satisfy as many urges as we have, or as many urges as
0: we could ever satisfy yeah. before. Yeah. I think it also is a mirror of your relationship and your intimacy probably in general, though, where, mm-hmm. where what you said probably plays into it, that, that this is an opportunity to deepen your relationship. But make no mistake, there is definitely an issue here <laughs>
1: that this was not Oh yeah. um, not being not okay. able to be
0: addressed. Yeah,
1: I applaud anyone, and, and I'm always in awe of anyone who you know, tries to work through it. Mm, and get back to a better place with their partner after an infidelity especially given how we treat infidelity in our culture right that it's it's something that we know that happens so many people do it everybody around us do it we've often done it and yet we treat it as the absolutely worst possible thing to do yes to each other it's the ultimate betrayal in so Mm -hmm. many ways and And I don't know. And yet it's, it's, it goes against so many of our natures, not everyone, everything's a spectrum. Some of us are more monogamous than others, but most of us are not built to be completely monogamous for the entirety of our lives, which are longer than
0: ever before. Yeah. I think that, I mean, that's always a good point. I think in a sense that Um, what do people call it? I think like serial monogamy or something (laughs) that even if you have several partners in your life, you have an aspect of non-monogamy in your life because you didn't pick one Mm -hmm. person and have sex with them for 60 years or something. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But you picked one to have sex with for 10 and then one for one year and one for one night and then Mm -hmm. another one for six months. (laughs) So um, Mm -hmm. in -hmm. that sense already we are, um, probably experiencing more partners at least than people have in the last like let's say 500 years or something maybe a thousand I don't know something like that
1: I would say 12,000 ever since agriculture <laughs> came on the scene that's true you're right yeah ever since we developed agriculture we started living a certain kind of life that uh, yeah we are having more partners than most people probably during that entire time some men managed Of course, there were always exceptions, but the majority of people didn't just have the opportunity of dating apps and big cities and traveling all over the world and living life of leisure (laughs) to be able to accommodate those kinds of things. Yeah, it's um, serial monogamy is one solution to this issue of the fact that most humans are not built for lifelong, you know, 60, 70 years of monogamy. So we break it up into <laughs> shorter chunks. <laughs> chunks. Exactly. And yeah, that's certainly because serial monogamy is both monogamy and both and isn't, isn't monogamy. You know, yeah. in some yeah. way it is. Yes, you are monogamous with that one partner while you're with them, but you're not lifelong monogamous. There have always been two options for how to meet our need for non-monogamy, serial monogamy or cheating and now finally we have a third option that i see you know what i see right now we live still in this transitional period where many people who are currently in relationships of some sort Mm -hmm. did not have the option of ethical non-monogamy absolutely yeah the ethical non-monogamy option is a new one, is a fairly recent one, and it still hasn't touched even many parts of the country and many parts of the world. So many people right now started their relationships when ethical non-monogamy was not an option. And so they are now faced with many difficult decisions when their partners are or are not on board with, okay, what to do about the fact that, yeah, this whole complete strict monogamy thing can't work forever. Um, and this new generation that's coming on now is more and more likely to live in a world where ethical non-monogamy is, is absolutely an option. So they can start having these conversations early on. Generally speaking, easier at the beginning than in the middle, in the midst
0: of (laughs) a relationship. Absolutely.
1: Definitely easier in the beginning. And by the way, speaking of the beginning, a lot of people think, well, I don't want to start opening up right away. No, you don't have to. In fact, I would recommend most people not open up from the beginning, Mm. even if they think at one point I would like to be open. I would like to have an open of some sort relationship for the majority of people. Of course, there are lots of exceptions from that rule. But for people who are interested in building a primarily serious long-term pair bond attachment based relationship, I think it's a pretty good idea to start out with a period of monogamy. Mm-hmm. But have these conversations. Have these conversations early on, decide, agree intentionally that you're going to go for a period of monogamy. And that for some people might be six months, for some people might be two years, for some people might be five years, right? Doesn't There's no rule for how long that has to be. Everyone decides on their own, but then... Yeah, have that conversation so that you know that you're on the same page about eventually getting to that point and having some sense of how quickly people might want to get to that point. Those would be the two main questions to uh, to discuss early on. I think that is a wonderful point because I think that bonding aspect and
0: attachment aspect is a really important um, factor. But clearly, if you have this openness to, if we want to, we can adjust later. Is a, probably very freeing um, mm-hmm. as a reminder. Also, maybe for you know, if there's like fears of attachment or. Um, fears of infidelity to be like okay we are here together and we want to be in this together um, no matter what shape it will take Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i can trust you right and to build that trust um, Mm -hmm. i think that's a wonderful wonderful tip So part of this show It's playing a couple games. And today we're going to play Truth or Dare. And it is the, you know, typical truth or dare game you might have played when you were younger or yesterday. Um, and so when someone chooses truth, they must answer the question truthfully. And when someone chooses dare, they're given a the task to complete. Are you ready? <laughs> All right, I'm ready. Okay, truth or dare? Truth. Okay, if you'd switch gender for a day, what
1: would you do? Oh my God. I would pee standing <laughs> first of all. I would pee everywhere I could possibly find I could to pee. pee everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely have sex because I would love to know what that feels like mm-hmm. with a penis. I would, so I would have, you know, I would get a blow job. I would definitely try receptive anal sex because mm. I would love to know what that feels like with a prostate. Yes, I only right. know what that feels like if you don't have a prostate, which is amazing. And so I would love to know what that feels like with a prostate. Sounds like it might be better, but <laughs> even. Yeah. I think they won in that department. So, I mean, we have, we have a whole clitoris inside and out, but they have a prostate. So there's that. I pretty much will be at an orgy. You'll find me at an orgy. (laughs) That's the perfect place to be. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I would be at an orgy in Berlin because Berlin. So my first, and I'll, this will be a little more truth than you bargained for. But my first experience of seeing a sex club was in Berlin when right after my undergrad, At the Kit Kat Club. Yes, I've been there. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, right. And this was many years ago, I guess in like 2004, probably. So I just finished my undergrad in Macedonia. I was doing an internship in Berlin for six months before I applied to PhD programs and then moved to the U.S. But that six month stint in Berlin was in many ways life changing. And one of the ways it was life changing was I walked into or someone took me to the Kit Kat club and uh, I saw the greatest mix, the greatest variety of humans, of all genders and sexual orientations and kink orientations and different kinds of fetishes. And uh, it was different, differently abled people. I mean, there was, everyone was at that party and I've never seen anything like that since anywhere else but um at the cab in the u.s these communities are much more segregated you can't find a party where there's a bunch of gay guys and straight men straight guys and straight women and, and queer women and trans folks and swingers and <laughs> heavy kinksters and, um, and vanilla people yeah, and like, everybody <laughs> yeah it was like almost anybody so
0: yeah i agree that'd be fun <laughs>
1: Am I missing something very obvious that I should also include in there that I'm not thinking of at the moment? I think
0: somebody, I've asked this question once before, and I think um, a woman said um, walking at night um, outside.
1: Oh, Mm. Interesting,
0: huh? I thought that was an interesting one. I hadn't even thought about that. I was more along your lines, I think, having sex. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Right, right. No, but that just goes to show how many women have a very different experience of safety in the world than men do. I wish we could show men a little more of that so they can empathize more. Because I think a lot of the current misunderstandings that exist between sort of men and women, especially in the straight world, around consent and how we're approaching and negotiating sexual situations around pleasure. uh, uh, Yeah, around... I think it'd be
0: really eye-opening, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think in, in both ways, really... Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, maybe maybe there's also part of it where if you'd be a man for a day, you know, you'd you'd understand more about performance anxiety or, yeah. um, you know what I mean? Maybe there's these aspects, too, that then you would be like, oh, my God, you know, or having a hard on and not even knowing why. <laughs> like these aspects yeah. that we don't
1: even think about, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or the pressure that men feel to be a man. You know, yes. women almost are granted womanhood just by the fact that they have a vagina, whereas yeah. men, they have to prove their manhood almost on a daily basis. And society, especially you know, the standard patriarchal, heteronormative, misogynistic, homophobic, all of those things, society has placed a very strict set of rules on what it means to be a man. For and- sure. I think that's not easy for men to deal with. Uh, They are victims of the patriarchy as much as women are. They also tend to benefit from it more, but just because they benefit from it more doesn't mean that they are not also harmed by it. And also, as you were saying this, I just uh, thought of something I was just reading about uh, trans men Mm -hmm. who, after getting on testosterone, have the experience of, sexual desire that is so in a, in a way uncontrollable that yeah. and, and strong that they often see, say, oh my God, I understand men so much better now in terms of how fixated they can get on an attractive woman and uh, mm-hmm. how they can appear all sorts of inappropriate because. Well, yeah, of- I mean,
0: hormones are a real thing. I mean, I have a friend who transitioned to um, and he had told me also about like, this like bouts of anger and aggression, you know, because mm-hmm. just yeah. starting on this like higher level of testosterone, we don't even know how it feels like with those hormones in your yeah. body.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So, so, the other way around, probably.
1: The other way around. <laughs> I actually exactly. heard that too. Yeah.
0: It's interesting. A, um, a friend of mine who has experimented a lot with psychedelics and stuff. At one mm. point, um, had tried estrogen from mm. a friend of his that that had transitioned. Um, oh, interesting! Yeah, <laughs> and just he like said as, a, as an experiment, as a yeah, experiment. Just, yeah, exactly, just to be like, oh, how is <laughs> that gonna feel like? And he said it was the craziest trip he's ever had in terms of emotional ups and downs in a short period of time. <laughs> Wow, and that I was,
1: was so like, "This is so stunning." No, I mean, hormones are real; they <laughs> are really real. <laughs> are real. We can't disregard them. I don't know. There seems to be a times tendency, right, to disregard the facts that there are some of these biological differences in between males and females, and these hormonal differences are have have a real effect. Yeah, and uh, yes. it would be great if we could feel a little bit of the other way of it in some some way. So I'm curious about finding ways to do that without having to do, you know, take cross-gender hormones.
0: Yes, correct.
1: Uh, yeah, for sure. Because
0: who knows what that's gonna do.
1: Right. I mean, who knows? Maybe that will
0: be the next party drug. Seriously. Yeah, it didn't sound like a party for him the other way around. Also, I mean I think it has an accumulative effect where, but anyways, but still fascinating no, 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 I, I, i'm joking i'm joking
1: <laughs> i wonder if there are negative side effects to doing it you know a couple of times
0: <laughs> i can't imagine for a couple of times i don't think you know even people take like testosterone for um sports and stuff athletics Right, so, right, right i mean after a while it's <laughs> bad for you <laughs> so i'm not encouraging anybody here <laughs>
1: I don't know. You just gave me some ideas. Now I'm going to look into the re- research protocols for this. And see oh, my God. Please share, oh. please share. Please <laughs> share.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. This was super fun. Such a pleasure. Um, could you tell the listeners how
1: they can find your work? Sure. The easiest way to connect with me is on Instagram at Dr. Jana. That's dr Z-H-A-N-A. And that's also my website, drjana.com. You can find more information about the Open Smarter course on my website, about my consulting practice and services. And uh, yeah, any anything else that you might be curious about, reach out on Instagram or through my website.
0: Amen. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Pussy Church Podcast. You can find my incredible guest, Dr. Shauna's work in the show notes. Also, if you're looking for a Valentine's Day gift, check out my shop on talesoflara.com. My debut book of erotic poetry is back in print and we still got some sexy dice schemes for you too. If you like today's show, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It helps us keep the show going. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be amazing too. See you next Sunday.